about being strangers, being strangers to things. Have you ever had anything in your life that has just been so strange you couldn't get your head around it? Have you ever said like, oh, that is totally alien to me, like you don't get it? Like West Wing. I only watched that because of Josh and Donna. I understood that romantic thing, but the rest of West Wing just over my head. Okay, origami is another thing in my life that I am a bit of an alien to. Leo asked me to help him make a diplodocus, was it? Hypsilophodon. A hypsilophodon. Could, could mummy do it? No. Did, did mummy throw the paper and the book across the room in frustration? No. But I did get pretty mad, right? It's okay. Uncle Doug rescued you, didn't he? He showed you what to do. Yes. Now, Leo, I say origami, I'm just like, I can't do it. But Leo has got a bit of a skill for it. Check out some of these, okay? What's this one, Leo? A compsognathus. Pretty good, right? Okay. What's this one here? Plesiosaurus. How good is that? Okay, what about... What's this one? It is a lizard. You like lizards, don't you? Yes. Why do you like lizards? Because they're interesting reptiles. And what did you get for your birthday? A lizard. Okay, and what's this one here? That is a brontosaurus. Okay, and this seems to be a receipt. Whoops. Just pulled that out of my bag. Okay, Leah, you've got an offer to make everyone this morning, haven't you? Yes. If after church anyone wants me to make them a model, then I can make them one. Because you bought your paper, didn't you? Yes. He's really good. He can make anything out of paper. So come and find Leo after the meeting, and he's going to help, help you um, learn some origami. Do you want to take those off with you? Thanks, Leah. Should you give him a round of applause? What a dude. Okay, it's my little. You wanted him to stay on stage, didn't you? You didn't. Do you want to, should I should swap? Should I just go and you can have an origami workshop off Leo? <laughs> that would be quite cool, really. Okay, I want to speak to you this morning, and I've called my message "Pilgrim's Progress." Okay, old school, old school. So actually, we said last week that we had finished our series on It's a Family Affair, which was talking about the life of Abraham. But it turns out that it is still a family affair this week. Okay, because it turns out we still have one more message that we really felt was on our hearts to share with you this morning. And I'm calling that message Pilgrim's Progress. Who's read that book or that account? Few people have. Okay, more hands on this side of the room than that side of the room. And a big hand there. Okay. Pilgrim's Progress is an excellent book. You know, it's so funny because it was one, I think it was the best-selling Christian like fiction book of all time. It still might well be. And yet, when was the last time you ever heard anybody preaching about a pilgrim or Pilgrim's Progress? Well, I'm bringing it back this week. I am bringing back Pilgrim's Progress. You know, there are times in life, I was just joking um, with the Lezinskis the other week, that a word just comes into your life, okay? So when the Charltons moved house to Fenham, they bought a house, um, and the estate agent described it as a house with an annex. An annex came into our lives. We just said this word over and over again. No, never said it before. Annex was like the word of the month. And, uh, and then I was telling Dan and Mel recently about um, a hotel that Ben and I went to 
for our 10th wedding anniversary. And it was like a hotel with like a spa. And as part of your deal, you got given like a robe and everyone would wear these robes like from their hotel rooms in their little paddy slippers down to the spa. And then you'd pick your robe up and you'd head back to your hotel room. And me and Ben said the word robe like a hundred times in two day periods. We're like, oh, you've got your robe, darling. Oh, where's your robe? Oh, have you remembered your robe? Should we take our robes? Just robe, robe, robe. Okay, pilgrim is another word that you probably haven't said in a long time. I'm going to say it a lot this morning, so get it out of your system. Just want you to say the word pilgrim a lot to the people around you. Pilgrim. Pilgrim, pilgrim, pilgrim. Pilgrim, pilgrim, pilgrim. Pilgrim. It feels good, right? Pilgrim. Amen. Now, last week, Ben spoke to us about focus, and we kind of summed up Abraham's life as being a life that had a great focus. And Ben encouraged us to be like Abraham and have a focus on going forwards, not just forwards, but upwards, heavenwards in life. He told us, you know, let's not go sideways and let's not get caught up in the, um, the kind of the culture of com- comparison that can bring so many of us down and make us feel negative. Let's not look backwards into the past, either with nostalgia or with regret, but let's be people that look heavenwards, Godwards towards a heavenly city whose builder and architect was God. Amen. And that was meant to be the end of the series. You know, we've, it really has been a family affair. Abraham and Sarah's life was a story of, of lives lived defined by a desire for the next generation, a story about lives defined by decisions made to benefit the next generation. But Abraham and Sarah's life was a journey. Amen. They were on a journey. And we feel like there's just one more thing we want to share with you this morning about this idea of being on a journey. So today, this message is the epilogue, okay? So an epilogue is meant to be the comment or conclusion to a novel or a story. We are the epilogue this morning, okay? The way that we live our lives today, the way that we take hold of what we've learned about Abraham and Sarah, the way that we put that into practice in our lives, makes us the epilogue. We are the comment. We are the conclusion. The way we live our lives are the conclusion to Abraham and Sarah's lives and journey. So I want to speak to you about three things this morning. I want to speak to you about the pilgrim's purpose, the pilgrim's perspective, and the pilgrim's passion. Amen? So, uh, when Ben and I first started working on the Family Affair series quite a few weeks ago, we, uh, we were doing a lot of talking about Abraham and his lifestyle in the home, in the kitchen, and um, with the kids, in the family. And around about the same time, the kids and I were learning in homeschool about the nomads. And uh, I was teaching them about the origins of kind of civilization um, as we know it. And the nomads didn't have a permanent home. They were travelers. Everywhere they went, they looked for provision, um, and they would move on to the next place that had provision. And then they found this thing called the Fertile Crescent. It's a bit of a free history lesson for you this morning. And that was in the uh, Egyptian um, lands. It was sort of at the end of the Nile. There's a triangle there where they found there was an abundance of animals and crops. And they settled there. And they made houses out of clay. um, And that's kind of when the first cities were built. And uh, as we were studying uh, early civilization, one of the children, I can't remember which, they blur sometimes into a crazy mess of noise. One of them said to me, oh, Abraham was a nomad, wasn't he, mummy? And I was like, yeah, I guess he kind of was. You know, he traveled around. But as I prepared this word, you know, I realized he wasn't a nomad. He was a pilgrim. And there is a difference that I want to talk to you about this morning. Homeschooling is really helpful when you preach. 
Just this week on Wednesday, the kids and I had moved on to the Egyptians. And so we decided to build, I've got a picture of it here, a pyramid out of Lego. Okay, there it is. Um, it looks fancy. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll realize that I was quite honest about how long that took me, how painful it was. The kids were so excited until about layer three. Uh, and then the whole thing kept collapsing, and it took a very long time. And um, my dad walks into the kids' bedroom, and I was like, hey, look what we made, thinking he would know it was a pyramid. And he went, ah, a ziggurat. <laughs> and I was like, what? No, a pyramid. But not wanting to act dumb and pretending that I knew what a ziggurat was, I was like, hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, he told us about a famous ziggurat, which was built in a place called Ur in the Chaldeans. Anyone remember Ur? Yeah, we've got some nodding. You've been part of this series. Ur is where Abraham was called out of before um, when he started this big journey in God. Now, the ziggurat is a pyramid that is built with stepped sides, okay? And there was a really big one built in Ur. I think I might have an artist's impression or a kind of a graphic illustration of of what they think um, Ur might have looked like back in the day. And you can see this big ziggurat in the background. It was built to um, as a monument, as a temple to uh, a moon god, um, a false moon, a false god, a moon god um, in that place. And you can see around it, you know, there's houses, um, there's like streets. And Ur, where Abraham was living, wasn't like Glastonbury, okay? It wasn't like a big collection of tents. When God called Abraham, he wasn't like, hey, Abraham, just move your tent away from the like drunken drug tents. Just, just move your tent out of the way of the rest of the tents. Abraham wasn't part of a nomadic community that was like living in tents, moving around. Abraham was living in a city. You can see it right here. Maybe he even had his own house. Now, archaeologists um, write about Ur and they say that um, Ur was the wealthiest city in Mesopotamia. Uh, and the ziggurat was like the biggest structure built there. It's now in, um, it's been excavated and reconstructed now, and it's in modern-day Iraq. Um, And archaeologists and historians reckon there are about 24,000 people living in Ur at the time Abraham was there. That's about a kind of a tenth of the population of Newcastle. And they were an advanced culture. They had libraries, schools, marketplaces, nice homes, lush gardens, and many conveniences. This was a settled population. They were thriving. They were modern. They had conveniences. That was where Abraham was living when God said to him, get up, get going, get out. You know, he wasn't just another tent as part of the tent community. He was living somewhere very established, very convenient, really quite nice. He probably didn't even have a tent. He probably had to get a tent to respond to God's call on his life. He had to change his entire lifestyle. Not only did he have to get a tent, but he had to get into camping. He did, Leo. God was asking Abraham to change his entire lifestyle. Now, camping divides people into two camps. (laughs) Haha, see what I did there. Okay, there are people that like camping and there are people that loathe camping. And I did some like motivational Pinteresting on this. And for every positive quote about camping, there is a negative quote about camping. Here's some positive ones for you. Some motivational camping quotes. Under canvas and over the moon. Think outside, no box required. There is no Wi-Fi in the forest, but you will find a better connection. And there's hundreds more about the benefits of being out there in nature, in the, living the simple way of life. You know, home is where 
the caravan is, that kind of quote. Then there's some really negative ones too. Camping is not a date. So this is for people that might go on a camping trip together. Uh, it's an endurance test. If you can survive camping with someone, then you should marry them on the way home. <laughs> My mom's like, amen to that one. Uh, camping is spending lots of money to pretend that you're poor. Uh, and then Claire Taylor once gave me a card to that effect. Uh, the top one, the only vacation where you work harder preparing meals and caring for your living space than you do in your own house. Camping isn't always a positive thing for some people. But camping is what God asked Abraham to do. And I hope you get this concept that Abraham wasn't just picking up a tent and taking it somewhere else. He also had to get past that kind of mental shift from being settled and happy and maybe having his own little allotment and his own patch and his little, you know, lifestyle and leaving that behind, getting a camp, getting a tent, getting into camping, getting into a different mindset. He had a different purpose. He was going to be a pilgrim. Now, why is he a pilgrim and not a nomad? Well, nomads just wandered um, anywhere, just wherever the provision was. But pilgrims ask people the that journey to a special place for faith-based reasons. A pilgrim is somebody who journeys to a special place for faith-based reasons, and that is what God asked Abraham to do. Now, interestingly, we know that um, God had a physical place that he wanted um, Abraham to get to. You know, he talked about getting to a land and establishing um, a nation, although he didn't know where that was when he set out on his journey. But if we go and we look at um, Hebrews that we looked at last week with Ben, we'll remember that what, he's, what Abraham's commended for is for looking heavenwards, not to a physical land, a physical destination, but something spiritual, something heavenly, something in a different realm. So if we can get Hebrews up on the, the uh, screen, I'll read it to you. If you're making notes, it's Hebrews 11. I'm going to read a couple verses, 8 to 10, and then a few further on in the story. It says in verse 8, by faith, Abraham heard God's call to travel to a place he would one day receive as an inheritance, and he obeyed, not knowing where God's call would take him. By faith, he journeyed to the land of the promise as a foreigner. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, his fellow heirs to the promise, because Abraham looked ahead to a city with foundations, a city laid out and built by God. And then it goes on, and it says in verse 13, in the same chapter, all these people, this is the writer of Hebrews talking about people of faith, of which Abraham was one of them. All of these I have mentioned died in faith without receiving the full promises, although they saw the fulfillment as though from a distance. These people accepted and confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on this earth, because people who speak like this make it plain that they are still seeking a homeland. If this was only a bit of nostalgia for a time and place that they had left behind, then certainly they might have turned around and returned. But such saints as these look forward to a far better place, a heavenly country. So God is not ashamed to be called their God because he has prepared a heavenly city for them. Should we pray? Lord, we just pray that you would help us receive the words from your Bible this morning, that they'd be living to us. Lord, that the words you're, you're sharing with us today would help us change our thinking, would help us change our actions, and would help us change our lives so that our focus is ever more on you. In Jesus' name, amen.
I remember a while ago, Pastor Clive preaching, and he uh, spoke about the TV series 24. Has anybody seen that? Yeah, people seen 24? Just John. Okay, and Adam. Fine, a few people. Well, um, apparently in 24, they, do, they introduced this thing to TV that's like a lot more um, well-known now, but it's known for this stylized um, split-screen kind of showing um, of events. And um, in the top of the screen, you would see like things happening in one part of the country. And in the bottom of the screen, you would see things that were happening simultaneously, but in a different room or a different person's life. And you would get to see both things happening alongside it. And Pastor Clive kind of encouraged us, you know, that's how our lives are as Christians. We've got a life happening at the bottom of the screen, a physical life, um, you know, life of uh, bills and schools and jobs and um, food and all that kind of stuff happening down here. But simultaneously, there is something happening on the top screen. There are spiritual realities, spiritual principles. There are things happen, happening in the heavenly places. And our challenge, he told us as Christians, is to live mentally, emotionally, and spiritually in this kind of top section um, where, our, um, where, our, where our faith lives are really built and grown, even as our bodies are kind of physically existing down here in the bottom part of the screen. And the real key is to have a heavenly perspective that outweighs the physical perspective. The real challenge is to put more weight to what's happening up here that we can't see, to what's actually happening around us that we can see. Is that not the very definition of faith? Are you with me? So Abraham's living this kind of split screen existence. And even though on the bottom level here, he's seen some kind of response to the promise of God in his life. You know, the son, his son Isaac has been born. He has grown and increased. You know, that's not the fulfillment of the promise. He's still living in the top layer thinking, I'm still living for a heavenly homeland. I've still got something more spiritually significant that I'm going to see happen uh, in my life. And he understood that the real destination wasn't what God was going to do for him down on earth it was the spiritual and the heavenly destination that he was traveling back to. I think it's really interesting if we go back to the Hebrews passage that the writer of Hebrews describes the heavenly homeland as the one that has the foundations. It says the foundation. He was looking forward to a city whose foundations, um, uh, there you go, the last line, because Abraham looked ahead to a city with foundations, a city laid out and built by God. I found that really challenging when I read it. Where am I looking to put down roots? Where am I looking to really build foundations in my life? What am I really investing in with my life? Am I investing in the things down here on the bottom of the split screen? Is that where I'm trying to put down roots and lay a foundation? Or am I investing in the spiritual things, the heavenly things, the things up here? Because what is it that we can really take to heaven at the end of this life? It's not the things that are happening down here. You know, there's a story in the Bible, isn't there? Jesus tells of the wise man who builds his house on the rock. And there's the unwise man who builds his house on the sand. Okay, I kind of think about the sand's the bottom layer. The rock is the top layer. The wise man is a pilgrim who understands that we are journeying towards something more substantial. The wise man is a pilgrim who doesn't focus on establishing themselves on the shifting sands of what's down here. You know, reputation, career, politics, uh, any uh, schooling, education, finances. Instead, the wise pilgrim invests their life and builds themselves up spiritually up here on the rocks that the Bible tells us is Jesus Christ. And the wise pilgrim invests in the stuff that they can take 
wisdom. Didn't Roxana preach about traveling light? Well, the wise pilgrim travels light. They invest in stuff they can carry, relationships, character, purpose. That is the pilgrim's purpose. And you know, the crazy thing is that God set Abraham up with a daily reminder of his purpose, a daily opportunity to exist in that purpose because he literally put Abraham on the road, under canvas, constantly traveling, in a tent. So here's my quote of the day. Abraham was intent on the things of God because he was intense. Abraham was intent on the things of God because he was intense. If you remember nothing else, remember that today. The fact that God put Abraham in a tent helped him stay intent on getting to the things up here in this part of life, getting to the spiritual things, getting to a heavenly homeland. Now, if you love camping, you might not find this easy to get hold of. If you hate camping, this is going to make a lot of sense. If you're in a tent every day, you might not want to be there anymore. Death might not be such a bad option anymore. Just saying. You know, the way that Abraham lived his life on a day-to-day basis changed. He came out of Ur, out of a city, and he moved into a tent. His mindset had to be different. He was on the move. He was not just spiritually following God anymore, but he was physically packing up his tent, moving to where God told him to go next, packing up his tent, moving to where God told him. This wasn't one man and his tent in the woods, guys. This is like Abraham had a community around him. He had children and sheep. And I mean, my mum and dad have taken lots of kids camping um, as part of school trips. Did you have sheep too? You did? They had sheep as well. It's a faff. It's a hassle to move an entire family, an extended family, all of their cattle, all their possessions in these tents. And they're not pop-up tents. They're not these fiberglass fancy things. You know, these are big, old-fashioned, wieldy tents. And day after day, he pitched that tent and he woke up the next morning and he said, God, I'm still here. You've got me in a tent, but I'm still intent on you and I'll keep going. And it was hard, but it was possible because... He had the spiritual destination motivating him. And the spiritual things in life were so much more real to him than the hardships of his pilgrim lifestyle. My dad, he had another dream uh, a while ago that he told us about. There are two dreams that my dad's had. One involved throwing deck chairs at people in French uh, that I remember quite clearly. I have to ask him about that one. Uh, He had another dream. um, And... Uh, he described the next morning, he said, it was, it was weird. It was like I was in heaven and I was surrounded by spiritual things. And they were light. They weren't heavy. There wasn't a burden associated with them. But they were somehow more tangible and thicker and more substantial and had more gravitas and more importance and more insignificance than any material that you could pick up on earth, any wood, any metal, any mineral on earth. And he had that experience in his dream of understanding the consequential substance of the things, the spiritual things in life, and how much more they mean to us than the things on earth. Hebrews 11 verse 9, we've read it, and it has that word because in it. By faith, Abraham journeyed to the land of the promise as a foreigner. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, his fellow heirs to the promise, because... Abraham looked ahead to a city with foundations, 
a city laid out and built by God. If we don't have that because in our lives, it won't work. If we don't do something because of what God's calling us back to, because of the things of the kingdom, because of the things of greater heavenly significance and importance, we won't make it through the hardships of life that come against us on this part of the screen. And here's a side note to parents this morning. You know, what do we want for our children? And even if you don't have any children yet, think about it. What do you want for the next generation? What is the greatest prayer that we can make for our children? Perhaps it's that they stay in education longer. Perhaps it's that they have a better job than we had, or they're an easier financial experience than we had, or that they're able to buy new cars rather than secondhand cars. No. The most spiritual thing that we can do for our children is to get them a tent too. Amen? My parents received this anointing how many years ago? I think about like eight years ago maybe for our, um, was it for our birthday or wedding anniversary? It was for our wedding anniversary. They bought us a really posh four-man tent. I assume it's posh. We've never got it out of the bag. Um, <laughs> yeah, we've never pitched it. <laughs> but, but it looks really good. They, one day they know that we're going to take our kids on camping holidays in that tent. But, you know, our mindsets as parents have to be to teach our children to live differently too, to live counterculturally, to not settle in the cities with the conveniences of the time, not have the mindsets of the culture around us, even though that looks easier and more prosperous perhaps on the surface. That's not what we're here to do for our cell members. That's not what we're here to do for our children. We're here to give them a tent too, to get them on the road, get them on the journey and encourage them to have their focus on God because it's tough, but it's better. That's what we're here for. That is the purpose of being a pilgrim. I'm a pilgrim. This is not my destination. This is not my home. That's my destination. The things of God. You're a pilgrim. You're on a journey. Why don't you tell five people around you, you're a pilgrim. See, I need need that word today. You're a pilgrim. Has the word pilgrim ever been said so many times? Pilgrim, 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 pilgrim. The second thing... The second thing that we're going to look at this morning is having a pilgrim's perspective. That is a mouthful. Pilgrim's perspective. You know, being a pilgrim gives us a totally different perspective on everything. And there's two things I really want to focus on this morning. I think it's on my next slide. Being a pilgrim, drum roll. Thank you. It's coming. There you go. Being a pilgrim, it gives us a better perspective on who we are, and it gives us a better perspective on what we do. Let's look at the first one. You know, in the New Testament, one of Jesus's key disciples was a guy called Peter, uh, and he wrote a letter to a group of new Christians setting up a new church. And he likens their experience as new Christians to the experience of Abraham as a pilgrim. And, you know, he reminds us that having a pilgrim's mindset is not the same as having the mindset of a permanent native. And in 2 Peter 2, verse 11, he says this, Beloved, remember, you don't belong in this world. You are, a re- you are resident aliens living in exile. So resist those desires of the flesh that battle against the soul. 
Another version describes this as temporary residents and foreigners. That might not be the nicest thing to hear, but it's a very key message for us. We're pilgrims. We're temporary. We're passing through. We don't belong to the things that we see around us down here. We belong to what's happening up here in our lives. I think the Psalms describes it are but a breath passing through the bottom to get back up to what God's got in heaven. You know, a traveler doesn't live according to the standards and the customs of the country that they're in or visiting or passing through. Have you ever been on holiday to like a different country with like a different language, different food, different side of the road that you've got to remember to drive on, different people, different names? Like going to Sweden, I always panic I'm going to forget the names because they're so complicated. Just kind of like remember what you bought from Ikea and hope it lands with one of them. It's true. You know, sometimes when we're, we lived in um, Colombia for... Um, not very long. It's like a month, and then we're in Miami for two months. And um, prior to going to Colombia, about three months before we went to Colombia, I decided um, that I was going to be a vegetarian. I had all sorts of issues going on, and I'm not saying being a vegetarian is an issue, but <laughs> it's fine. I respect vegetarians. At that moment in time, I fixated on vegetarianism as like the answer to all of my internal issues, which, as we know, it wasn't. And uh, I, so I ate no meat for about three, three or four months before we went to Colombia. Um, and then Lord told us to go to the land of wonderful steak. And, uh, and I was like, this is hard because every day we, were, um, we, were, we had lunch provided for us and we were with a group of Brazilian pastors. And lunch every day was plantain, good, rice, good, black beans, good, steak. Ah! And you know what? The Lord really challenged me on it about my reasons for being a vegetarian. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to offend these people. Like, they're trying so hard to be hospitable to us. Like, when in Rome, you just got to eat the cow. And I was like, fine. So I, my vegetarianism ended there in Colombia. And you might have had a similar experience where you go to a different culture, and, you know, you, you might adopt some of the local customs if they're kind of morally neutral and not offensive to your value system. Because you don't want to offend people as a pilgrim passing through. So there are, there are loads of things as Christians that you know, we'll get involved in down in this world because they're, they're good, they're fine, they're, you know, they've got biblical principles behind them. I'm not saying that we have to live completely differently to everyone around us and start eating, I don't know, weird foods in weird ways at weird times. You have to adopt some of the customs. When I went to um, Kazakhstan in 19, I'm going to look at my dad here, 97 or 8, one of those nine, late 1990s um, moments, my dad took my brother and me to Kazakhstan. I was 14 at the time. And there were a lot of customs uh, that we were, you know, we just kind of went along with because we wanted to show our respect for the culture. um, And we wanted to show our gratitude for the hospitality of the people taking care of us. But we didn't keep those customs up when we came home. We didn't take them with us. They didn't become a part of who we are and what we were about. I actually, um, when we moved, moved out of our home recently, we were kind of clearing out some boxes and I found a diary that I had kept during this time as a 14-year-old. It's so funny. Uh, and a lot of these customs, like, I was clearly up in feminist arms about uh, inside. And um, one particular custom that I moaned about in this diary was the fact that after every meal, I had to go and help the women clear away the dishes and do all the washing up while my dad and my brother would kind of sit smugly at the table with all the men talking about man things. And I was kind of slaving away in the background. Uh, another example of a custom we didn't bring home with us, um, at the Feast of Naris. Is that right? Naris. 
they had they would serve like these big like whole sheep and they would kind of carve portions of the sheep up and they would give it to different people to represent different things and you know what my brother and I had to eat the ear we had to eat the ear of the sheep to show our willingness to listen to our parents oh That was not good. We're citizens of heaven. We're still going to do some of the same things that the people around us do, but we're not, what we're not going to do is change our value system. We live according to God's words and God's standards. You know, in that verse, Peter talks about the, uh, the flesh that battles against the soul. He picks up this idea of a war. And you know what? Essentially, as long as Satan is the prince of the world, we are on enemy turf. Isn't that a scary thought? But we are. We're on enemy turf. We're traveling across enemy turf to get back to God's kingdom. You know, you can see the battle raging all around us. Ben touched on that, that kind of battle that goes on to our left and to our right. And it's a battle for the identity of this generation. And being a pilgrim sets us apart from that, but there's a raging battle out there, especially from the minds and the hearts of young people. There is a relentless and a negative message out there on social media and on printed media. And it says that society only values people according to how many likes they get on Facebook or how many followers they have on Instagram or how much they can twist and manipulate their lives to look like the things that the world tells them they should do and be like. But instead, Peter starts this passage by saying, Beloved, remember, you don't, remem- you don't belong in this world. That should change our identity, that world beloved, because we as Christians are beloved by God. And we have that deep, unconditional, unmeasured acceptance. And that frames our identity as pilgrims. We're going back to the Father that loves us unconditionally. It doesn't matter what social media says about us. That is the truth that we have to accept. And being a pilgrim shows us a better way to have our identity framed by God. And being loved by God is what motivates us through the hardships of living differently. Pilgrims, when it gets tough, that love that God has for you is the thing that you draw inner strength from. I read this in a book once. Um, I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. It says, there's nothing wrong and everything right about enjoying God and the blessings he freely bestows on us in this life. But we don't hold the things of this, but sorry, if we don't hold the things of this life loosely and we aren't focused on God himself and on being in heaven with him as our goal, we are holding to a shallow form of Christianity. If we're just living for the good life that being a Christian gives now, We wouldn't last a minute under persecution. We wouldn't endure much suffering, nor would we withstand the many temptations to indulge in fleshly desires. The only thing that can steal us to endure suffering and to seek holiness in a wicked world is to live as pilgrims bound for heaven. Isn't that fantastic? You know, Roxana and I were talking the other day because the kind of part of the world that her family comes from, you know, she's hearing stories about people really being pushed even unto death for their faith. And they've got a hold of this concept of being pilgrims, returning to something better, and with the love of God that motivates them through the hardships that they're going through. Being a pilgrim gives us a better perspective on who we are. 
And then lastly, let's look at how it gives us a bigger perspective on what we do. A bigger perspective on what we do. You would think, wouldn't you, after all of that traveling, all of that hardship, all of that camping, all of that being asked to sacrifice your son, all of that heartache, all of that waiting and waiting and waiting for your son to be born, that God would give Abraham like a whopping big reward, right? You'd think that all that camping would come with some kind of payoff here on earth. I mean, the poor guy, you can just imagine him like waking up every morning, pushing back the canvas, being like, oh God, how many more days do I have to spend in this tent? But you're a good God. You love me. I know you've got a great reward for me. I'm going to get to like, I'm going to get to like a beautiful house soon. There's going to be, uh, there's going to be like an ensuite with a hot shower and uh, maybe even like, maybe even like a TV with Netflix. Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. God, and hey, there's Egyptian sheets I picked up. They'll be useful. I'll put them on my big bed and I'll, oh, I'll watch TV in my big bed. And hey, God, I know you're going to give me a house with an, uh, it's going to have a swimming pool for all these kids that you're going to give me. I know you're going to give me these kids, Lord. They can swim in the pool outside. And one day, everything's going to be all right. Right, God? How many more days is it like this? Right, God? And we can have that in our lives now. In this kind of culture, we can expect a payoff for the effort that we put into things. But the writer of Hebrews reminds us back in that chapter in verse 13 that all these people that he mentioned died in faith without receiving the full promise. Although they saw fulfillment as though from a distance. Doesn't that just turn everything we, that the world would tell us on its head? Doesn't the world say if you work hard, you get something? Doesn't the world say like if you keep trying and you hang on, you'll eventually get a payoff? But that's not what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying you don't find fulfillment in the payback. You don't find fulfillment in the reward. You find the fulfillment in a different way. See, Abraham never saw the complete fulfillment of the promise that God gave him. He didn't experience the nation that God had promised him. He didn't get to live in the land that flowed with milk and honey. That was the point of all of this. And that hot shower, yeah, it never happened. He didn't get that en suite. And you would think if anyone deserved a reward for his efforts, surely it was the founding father of our faith. You know, I once read an article, um, and it was talking about um, how... Um, like the difference between generation, generations and their approach to work. Um, and I, like, I've summarized it for the purpose of this talk as the difference between the sloggers and the bloggers. Okay, the sloggers and the bloggers. So it was talking about how the older generations, like they just, they just took jobs that came along, okay? It didn't matter what the job was as long as it provided for the family and as long as it was able to put shoes on their kids and as long as they were able to get their kids to a school and um, show love to their kids and like they, they invested in the next generation, they worked diligently in whatever job they could find. They were grateful for the opportunities that came along. You know, they focused on the, uh, the needs of other people around them, and they didn't demand that the world gave back to them in any particular way. But in contrast, my generation, right, we're the bloggers. We are the blogging generation. And we think that we deserve not only to be recognized and celebrated for our amazing talent and creativity, but we should also be paid for it. We should be able to get jobs where companies write to us and want to endorse want us to endorse their products, and if we put it on Instagram with a flattering filter, they'll pay us for it. We expect to be able to choose our careers, our houses, our friends, and our clothes, and we expect to be fulfilled through those choices, those personal choices that fashion the lifestyle that we think we deserve. But that isn't the Bible's perspective on fulfillment. You know, Abraham understood fulfillment because his lifestyle as a pilgrim gave him the spiritual perspective on fulfillment. 
See, Abraham was fulfilled and content knowing that his life had played a bigger part, a part in a much bigger spiritual prize. He knew that his life was a fulfilling life because it became part of God's bigger spiritual plan for our people group and for our nation. And that's what fulfilled him, that he got to live a life that contributed to what God was doing spiritually across the world. Isn't that amazing? He didn't see the, he didn't see the fruit of that, but he felt fulfilled because he sowed into it. He put his life into it. Steve once preached here and he said, the prize is in the process. Abraham understood that. His purpose as a pilgrim, his journey as a pilgrim, the process that God took him on, that was the prize. All the things that he was able to invest in as part of God's bigger plan for the salvation of the world. That's what fulfilled Abraham. You know, spiritually speaking, we're meant to be on the slogging team, not the blogging team. Amen? You know, it takes, you've got to take a deep breath sometimes, and it's hard. But we have to admit that we're not entitled to a reward. And that as Christians, we shouldn't be motivated by personal fulfillment. Instead, we're inspired as Christians by the privilege of being part of God's bigger, great story. You know, God has got an individual purpose. It'll be unique for each one of us. You've got, God's blessed you with different talents and relationships and abilities. You know, that, there's a purpose in each of those things, but not because we're special, not because we deserve um, to be paid for that, but because God has lovingly crafted our lives so that we can effectively work through those giftings to fulfill the bigger purpose that he has for this city, for our nation, for our world. So finally then, my last point is, you know, pilgrim's passion. The pilgrim's passion. And this is kind of my response as well. Because if we're pilgrims, that should promote and provide and provoke a passion in our lives. A desire to get out of this tent and to get back to somewhere more comfortable. Out of the surrounds of the world that are so counter to what God's got and back to a kingdom that God is building where his values are promoted and his son is king. A desire for the things of God should propel us through life, should override our desire for comfort, those fleshly things we struggle about. And that should come with a sense of excitement. You know, this theme of being a pilgrim is so important that not just um, the writer of Hebrews talks about it, it's not just Peter that talks about it, but Paul also talks about this sense of being people that are tra- have transient lives and we're on a temporary journey across life to something more spiritual and more important than what's happening down here. And Paul actually describes our bodies as tents. They're fragile, they're limited, they're temporary. And it says, I've got the passage up here, the next passage. It says in Corinthians, I think it is, No, we haven't got that one. Okay, I'll read it to you. It says, We know that if our earthly house, a mere tent that can be easily taken down, is destroyed, we will then live in an eternal home in the heavens, a building crafted by divine, not human hands. Currently, in this tent of a house, we continue to groan and ache with a deep desire to be sheltered in our permanent home. So, in light of this, we live with a daring passion. And know that our time spent in this body is also time we are not present with the Lord. The path we walk is charted by faith and not by what we see with our eyes. There is no doubt that we live with a daring passion. But in the end, we prefer to be gone from this body so that we can be at home with the Lord 
And ultimately, it does not matter whether we are here or gone. Our purpose stays fixed, and that is to please him. You know, Ben and I, um, on the recommendation of my mum and dad, so it's okay, uh, started watching this TV series called Madam Secretary. Has anyone seen this? If you've ever watched The West Wing or any kind of American political drama, there's this little phrase that comes up quite often. It's, um, I serve at the pleasure of the president. Have you heard that saying? I serve at the pleasure of the president. Sometimes they say it through gritted teeth because they really don't agree with what's happening, but they have to serve at the pleasure of the president. And you know, that verse says, ultimately, it does not matter whether we are here or gone. Our purpose stays fixed, and that is to please him. And that has to be the thing that provides the passion in our lives, the motivation to keep going, to press into God, to, to sow our lives into his bigger plan, to think differently, to live counterculturally, to teach our disciples and our children to do that too. There has to be a passion in us to do that because we won't make it through the day's intense if we don't. And this morning, why don't we stand, if you feel that you're lacking in that passion, that some of that passion has gone out of your life to keep pushing on towards the things of God and the purposes of God. Let's pray this morning that God does a work in your life, that God changes you so that you see your purpose once again as being uh, on a journey towards the things of God, that he changes your perspective so that you know fully and once again that your identity is beloved, that your identity is beloved, regardless of what the world would say about you. You are loved. You belong to Christ and he's calling you home again. Let's pray this morning that your perspective changes so that you can see that your life isn't about you. It's about him and that ultimately it does not matter whether we are here or gone. Our purpose is fixed and that is to please him. You know, Sally spoke a while ago, Pastor Sally spoke a while ago about getting our edge back. And Pastor Art spoke about it at the G12 conference this year in the UK. Let's get our edge back. This morning, let's get our daring passion for life back. Let's pray that God would refocus us on our heavenly home. Let's, let's just resolve in our hearts right now that we're strangers in this land and not battle anymore against those things that the world would try and offer us and tell us would fulfill us, but change our thinking. Resolve in our hearts to be about the things of the kingdom. I'm going to ask Ben to come and help us pray through this. I just feel like I'm waiting on the Holy Spirit to keep ministering this word to me and to land this with the rest of us. So why don't you just join me, just lift our hands as a, a way of saying, Holy Spirit, we're waiting for you. We believe this is your word, Holy Spirit. We believe this is you bringing life from the Bible straight to our hearts, straight to our minds, to all that we are. Holy Spirit, come in this time. We welcome you in this time. We welcome you in this place to speak to make this real.
earth, they grow strangely dim. Lord, this morning, those things of the earth that have held us back, those things of the earth that have caused us to look back, those things of the earth that have called us to look sideways, Lord, would you grow them dim? Lord, would you turn the volume down on them? Lord, would you turn the sight of them down in our lives? Lord, would you cause them to grow dim in our hearts? dim in our priorities, dim in our minds, Lord, so that once again this morning we can turn our eyes fully on you. Lord, we want to come home to you and we want to fulfill our purpose as pilgrims to pass on through this earth, on a journey with a purpose back to you. Lord, we are not the people that are going to look back. We are not the people that are going to look sideways. We are the people that are going to move forward in heaven with to you this morning. Lord, we pray that you will break the bondage of the hurts and the habits and the hang-ups. Lord, that the world is seeking to wrap around our legs and chain us down with. Lord, we are not going to be held back by the things that are happening down here. Lord, would you loose us? Would you break the power of those things in our lives this morning? Every principality and stronghold that would set itself up against you in our lives this morning would be broken by the power of the cross, Lord, that our minds would be set free this morning, that as we look at you, the powers of darkness would fall away from us, the chains of bondage and oppression would be broken away from us, and that we would be set free this morning to have your perspective, to have that progress and that purpose that you put in our lives. Lord, to bring us back to you in a special way this morning. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, we pray now for a lifting up in your people's hearts and spirits. For a lifting up from being below the line to being above the line. To being in heavenly places with that perspective on all that you are. God, I pray for a lifting of our spiritual awareness. A lifting of our spiritual temperature. God, that this week won't be the same as last week. Last week, we might have been, you know, 50-50, a foot over by both sides of the line or sometime below and sometime above. But God, I pray this week will be that time in our spirits where we're above the line, where we're looking upwards, where we're focused upwards.